0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and our topic today is New Year's Resolutions for the Healing Heart and my guest is Sharon Greenley, licensed professional counselor, educator, and consultant. Sharon is the bereaved mother of two children who died in separate accidents on the same day and a bereaved grandmother. Sharon has written a beautiful book for children of all ages called When Someone Dies. Sharon lives in Laramie, Wyoming, where she facilitates workshops and seminars for small businesses and office groups in team building, communication, and stress reduction. She also facilitates workshops in women's issues and writing. Well, Sharon, welcome back to the show. We've had a little uh, AV stuff that certainly goes on with uh, the Internet, but we're happy to have you back on the show,
1: and welcome back. Oh, thank you, and it's nice to be here. Now, you need to confess, Gloria, that part of this is because you're skiing in Utah, and, <laughs> and your phone connection isn't as good as if you were in the studio. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> gonna, right. <laughs> so... on you, but you deserve that, and thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Well, could you talk to our audience a little bit about your experiences and what happened to you? I guess it was, uh, what, 21 years ago?
1: Yes, it was. It was 1984, November 3rd, and uh, we had just moved to Wyoming, and I was going back and forth to Nebraska, really, still teaching college classes. And my husband had come with me that, even, that weekend to teach. And when we came back, um, our phone was ringing when we came in, and it was from my husband's daughter. This is our second marriage, even though we've been married 31 years. And she had called to say that uh, my stepson, my husband's son, had been killed in an auto train accident in Texas. Mm. And um, I can remember thinking to myself, I, how do I comfort Linda at this moment, swallow what I have just heard in my own grief, and prepare myself to tell my husband in about 20 seconds when he comes through the door. I, I remember that. And saying to Linda, I, I just need to hang up now and I'll call you right back. And so, um, of course, we were devastated, devastated. And I had just called Iowa to tell our other children, you know, about, we called him Butch, about Butch's tragedy. And within an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, same daughter I had talked to called me back to say, Mom, you have to sit down, and, and there was the news that, that my son Dave um, had been killed in an automobile accident in Iowa. Oh, my goodness. And it was, it was just, it was like a big neck truck had just hit you, is the only way I know to describe it, you know. So, um, and I, actually, I didn't tell this story for five years. I never said out loud that this had happened to me in my life. People knew about it, but uh, because we had just moved here, I never told the story to strangers. It it, it was just too dramatic at the time. And, and I think it probably took five years to heal enough to to put the words out there um, it was without it sounding. Because if someone said to you, Gloria, oh, I've lost my son or I've lost my daughter, and then would you ever respond, oh, we lost two? No right it, it, it just never sounded right
0: yeah and well the other thing was if you just moved that you didn't have the opportunity to have the kids uh, that knew him and the family Randy that knew these kids right
1: which actually i i need to say was helpful because we had enough of, of support and comfort from home and from nebraska iowa nebraska that we felt the love we felt the compassion but it almost was helpful to me that I didn't have to face it every day with people on the street in Wyoming because they didn't know.
0: Now, how, you, you had just moved when it happened? We had just so, been
1: here just two months.
0: Oh, my goodness. Now, that's very interesting because um, you could look at it one of two ways. This is my daughters who went back to college after my son w- was killed had problems because nobody knew their brother. So uh, it could cut either way.
1: Well, I, I, think, I think you ne- definitely need that. What was helpful to me was I was still trying to maintain some form of sanity in my right. mind. And I think if I would have had everyone around me knowing, it wouldn't have given me that almost time to breathe respite mm-hmm. that I got while, because I, I was so in such deep grief. But I'm also a very private griever. And so when I was by myself, I could grieve. Then I could kind of take this gasp of breath and go out. And even though I would go out and I, I would feel the deepest sorrow, it wasn't that I was meeting everyone in the grocery store.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, and, yeah. and it's I, interesting because when you go to the grocery store, people run the other way. I thought, well, that's
1: exactly <laughs> what happened to me, too. <laughs> yeah, but but also I'm thinking of, of your college children. They're still children. They still needed the love and support of of a lot of community around them, and I'm, and I'm sure that, that that was a big point
0: for them. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so uh, the interesting thing about grief is that there's no right or wrong way, and this absolutely talks about that, having you say, I moved two months earlier. If I put on my therapy atom and say, wow, that was, you know, made it really a lot harder. And here you are telling us it didn't make it a lot harder. So it's interesting how we can go different ways actually, and have it work.
1: Yeah, actually the change of the move was horrendous for me because we did three moves in a year and a half. So I was in the throes of change. I thought it could get no worse. I was already in grief from the three moves, and then this happened, and it just stopped me in my tracks, and I realized that nothing else mattered. All of those three moves, all of that other change of uh, upheaval of my work, my job, of everything, it was nothing compared to this. And so it it just set me down and set me still, Mm -hmm. and it allowed me to kind of stop spinning and to see what was important
0: in life. Mm-hmm. And and do you have the feeling it was kind of uh, then and now? Now, what was your son's name?
1: My son was Dave, and know, and Buck was your and uh, Butch is the stepson.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. How long were you married? How did you have a close relationship with Buck?
1: With Butch, I yes, mean, but, yeah, and, but, and the boys were good friends. Butch
0: uh-huh. and Dave
1: were very good friends. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you
0: relate Dave's accident and anything with uh, your uh, with your stepson or no?
1: No. In fact, people wondered had Dave heard about it. Was he in? Greece? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. No, he had not heard. Nobody. No.
0: Just total irony.
1: Total irony. The other part of the irony is that night as we were coming through Seville Canyon, which is very dark and kind of eerie, uh, in back in Laramie, I was listening to the radio and there was a radio news report about a mother who had lost two sons mm. on railroad tracks. They had been playing on the railroad tracks in the dark and they had been killed. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, what a devastating thing. I just said a prayer for them. You know, for that mother, I thought, how would anyone stand losing one and then two sons? And, and then, again, afterwards I thought, was that just kind of a beginning preparation? You know, you go back and you look at something, and, and was that an accident? And I, you know, I, I think not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes yeah those synchronicities those uh, things that happen in our life that that seem to help us to be able to cope with things um now you've lost two grandchildren also
1: yes yeah, um my son Dave had two children, Anna and andy, and uh Andy was killed in the summer of two thousand one in a four wheeler accident
0: wow. how old was he He was seventeen, wow, yeah, yeah, He was.
1: It was like, you know, when when you get these kind of calls and, and you probably remember if the phone rang and that's how you heard it for so long afterwards, you just can't stand to hear the phone ring. And I remember telling myself, I have to tell myself that this isn't necessarily going to happen again. This doesn't mean it's going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. And then when we got that phone call and it did happen again, I, I thought, oh, well, thank goodness, I had how many years of not thinking it's going to happen again? Because we just have to trust that life is going to be basically good, and yet there are going to be interventions. And
0: so, one of the things that we're going to, you know, say to you and the audience over the New Year is trust.
1: Trust. Yeah. Trust. I, I mean, you know what? I have a mantra, and it is love, forgive, trust, let go. Ah, uh,
0: that's wonderful. Because you do have to surrender in these uh, situations. You just cannot you keep c-
1: you keep cannot going. The, the you, level. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Eventually, you you your body just does not going to let you keep going for it at the same intensity.
1: Well, and I and I think if we live in that spot, it it will diminish our own life, our own physical life, our own uh, emotional life. You know, uh, it's a big part of the beginning part of grief, but it cannot be what we identify and live with forever. Yeah. The
0: the first of it, if you, if you're out there and you're in your first year, you are it it's tough. oh uh,
1: it's tough. horrible. It's horrible. It's the worst of worst.
0: Yeah, And the second year.
1: Yeah.
0: Very, very tough. Very, very difficult. Well, and then what about your uh, uh, other grandchild that died?
1: This was a, a beautiful little girl, and, and she was a step-granddaughter. And she was born with a birth defect, our last grandchild. Uh-huh. And uh, she died in surgery at the University uh, Hospital in Iowa. And they kept her on life support until we got there and we got to hold her.
0: Uh, how old was she? Four. Uh, yeah, yeah. And what did she die of? At well, she season? died
1: of uh, problems from the surgery. They were trying to do bone fusion, and, and uh, she just didn't make it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But we were very, very—we felt very fortunate to have her the four years because you know her life was so fragile, and it was probably not destined that she would become an
0: adult. Uh-huh. Uh
1: huh. So,
0: yeah, I had a little nephew that died um same kind of thing. Do you think that uh having that is uh I've had this discussion before with uh, different professionals and different people about do you think the preparation and knowing that you have a disabled child or whatever makes it less traumatic for you than uh the sudden death or I know we can't compare losses but um it's a good point good point no, of discussion. No,
1: I it is a good uh, discussion point, but from my point of view and from my husband's both, uh, she was a precious little life, absolutely mm-hmm. priceless, and she taught all of us so many things in that time. I mean, no, we missed her just like we would miss any normal four-year-old child, mm-hmm. and, and I think what we were able to take it away is because we are fairly optimistic thinkers is What a blessing to have her and her lessons in our life for four years. Mm -hmm. But her mother, I mean, I mean, she she is Dick's youngest daughter, and she and I are very close. And and actually, the death of of Claire brought Debbie and I even closer because she knew I knew what it was like to lose a child.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I still feel that you know, well, I'm still here, and I know our audience does that little. breaking your voice Uh about losing our children. We were talking about it a little bit on break, how it doesn't matter if it's been 22 years, 21 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then with the holidays, you know, we're more fragile during holiday time, you know. Um, It it does make a difference, yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about that fragility?
1: Oh, the fragileness. Well, there is just a connectedness of the spirit to two people who love each other. And when it's a child, that connectedness of the spirit is even more fragile. Uh And so when that's severed, and you know this, Gloria, when that's severed, there's something that if you allow your feelings and emotions to go back and connect with that spirit, it's it's there again.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I love that idea of the connection.
1: Yeah, and I don't apologize for that. You know, even though I'm a professional, sometimes when I'm talking with people, I'm usually able to stay pretty well together, and, and I stay cognitive when I'm when Go I'm ahead. working with with professionals in the medical staff because I get a lot of calls for for how to nurses to help in bereavement or or hospice people and so on. And I usually take them, I start back with what were their own first grief issues and where are they now because we can facilitate another person no higher than where we are ourselves. I, I truly believe that.
0: Uh, that's a wonderful point. If you haven't been there, it's hard yeah. to facilitate them beyond yeah. that. Yeah. And if you
1: haven't resolved some of it or, you know, or, or at least know where you are. My mother died when I was 11 and, and I mean, you're talking to a person now that's known as a grief therapist, but I used to be known as the counselor who didn't do grief. (laughs) (laughs) Because I really did not resolve my mother's death Uh until... Actually, until the boys were killed. I had so much unresolved childhood grief.
0: Uh
1: And uh, when I wrote the book, I, I wrote it through the voice of the grieving child and the voice of the grieving mother. And this is why... A lot of people say, a lot of adults say, this isn't just a child's
0: book. That's what I, is what I said. It was a book for children of all ages mm-hmm. because, by the way, it is a wonderful book. When someone dies, it's, uh, the pictures are beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, there aren't that many words, but the words that there are are tremendously powerful. It's a wonderful book to have in your house. How would our audience get a hold of it? Uh,
1: it's on uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, uh, you can get it on the internet, or you can get it at, order it at through your local bookstore and it 's already at some bookstores you know, but they always order it it 's through Peachtree publishing Great,
0: it would be a wonderful book for you to get and um, look at this new year. Yeah. so um, what got you into writing?
1: Well, I, I started writing journaling, I think when I was about eighteen, and I think it was it was prob- probably because my em- own emotional load got too heavy. Uh, it was a way of releasing, a way of unloading, a way of sorting, and uh, it became a catharsis. I, I kind of got addicted to it. I think I kept in the beginning. I when I teach journaling classes now, I say in the beginning I used to staple the pages of my journal together because I was so ashamed of some of my thoughts. Oh. and and then uh, I, and that's even more reason to journal. <laughs> so, now, so now when I, I teach journaling classes, I always have teach them to use a, a legal pad or a, a three ring notebook or a spiral of some sort and we have what we call dump pages and you just dump you write whatever you want to write and you just get it out and you release and then you throw those away
0: uh-huh. and
1: then i have people keep what i call a beauty book and that's those really nice journals that you can find everywhere you know they're beautiful and there's where you put your lessons
0: That's interesting because Sinclair Lewis, the famous writer that wrote uh, Main Street, said that uh, when he died, he had a whole bunch of his journals burned. Those must have been his dumping.
1: (laughs) Those were his dumping. Well, this is why I say And what I said to my three daughters is, now, if you run across any dump books that I haven't torn out of, just realize my life really wasn't horrible. That's where I got rid of it. But... If you look through my journals, know that my life wasn't always a bed of roses either <laughs> because that's where I put what I've learned, and, and I keep beautiful poems there and, and just little nice things that happen, and uh, and it's just a nice way for me to do it.
0: So you'd suggest that our audience, uh, maybe during the new year, if they haven't tried it, may try doing How would they start? What would you suggest?
1: Well, one of the things I'd suggest is start on a dump book and... Uh, I think one of the things is to pour out your sorrow. It isn't unusual to feel sorry for oneself in grief, and I think a lot of people don't really connect that. We feel sorry that we've lost this person. We feel sorry that we cannot parent in the way we used to parent. We feel sorry that they're not going to be here. And, and nobody likes to kind of look at that as feeling sorry for oneself, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's just there. And so I think to pour that sorrow out. I won't have any more of this. I'll never be able to do this again.
0: Right? And I think that's really And I'm angry with.
1: Yes, I'm, You
0: can and, be angry with a dead person, you can be angry with somebody yes, who was driving yes, the car, you can yes, be angry with yes. anybody you want to be it's angry with, with.
1: And and you can you can be you can just have any feeling. Guilt is a big one, you know that.
0: Mm-hmm. it kind of goes with it
1: why didn't I? And and so I think the more we pour that out, but then I think also that I always say If you got sick at your stomach and you had to upchuck in a bucket, you wouldn't keep it. Mm -hmm. And so I use the same analogy with the dump book. Mm -hmm. Just get rid of it.
0: Yes, and uh, tell your family members if they know in your diary that this is a dump book. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: well, that's why I don't keep the dump book in the diary. You know, that's why I I do them in in legal pages or a a three-ring spiral
0: because you
1: can just pull them out and throw them away. I
0: have a a caller who's called in, uh, Sylvia, I believe, from Salt Lake City. Sylvia, welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for hearing my question. Hi, Sylvia. Have... This is Sharon. Hi, Sharon.
0: I've just been so impressed with the show this morning, and um, I think it's proof perfect that the grieving heart does heal. I just have a question from a religious point of view. Um, how, how did you deal with your loss from, you know, from a, a spiritual point of view, from a religious point of view? Uh, did you ever feel abandoned by God? Do you feel abandoned by God? Um, that is,
1: that's such an interesting question. Did I interrupt? I'm sorry.
0: Uh, no, no, that, that's essentially my question. You,
1: you know, I I was wondering if Gloria was even going to talk about this on the show because when I do workshops and so on, uh, I I need to pay really respect to that, and I re- I pay respect to that now, but I I will be very, very honest. I could not have handled what I handled without a belief in God. Uh, you know, and I I know that or I I usually say a higher power, you know uh-huh. because but uh I don't know how people do it without it. Because um, I felt I felt God's comfort all the time. I mean I can remember sitting and writing thank yous and I would sip herb tea and I played beautiful classical music and I had a candle. And I I actually felt held and loved by the people who wrote and called. I held, I, but I felt like that was God's love coming through all these people around me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. without that, and, and actually by having a close spiritual connection, I felt like I was comforted continually. And at one time, oh, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> at one time when I was in the deepest, deepest, deepest Throes of grief over my son's death, and asking, "Help me understand this." I actually, I heard a response that was so comforting to me that it was a, a complete turn in my in my healing.
0: Hmm. And how long was that? Two years. huh. Could you do you want to share with us what you heard?
1: Well, my son had a drug problem, a really big drug problem. And he tried and tried to get away from it. And he had been really doing a good job after he became a parent. And he had a backslide. And I worried about that because I thought, whatever will happen to him as a father with this? Anyway, when he was killed, they found no alcohol. There was no alcohol at all. But I always felt that if they would have tested for drugs, they would have found drugs in his blood. Mm -hmm. And the answer that I heard when I was in the deepest throes, and this was two years afterwards, was when I was saying, why, why did this happen? And the response came so calming and so loving. And what I heard was, I took him because he could not help himself any longer. Mm -hmm. He is with me do not be concerned, he is fine. Hmm. And I heard that as clearly as anything. And, and I wasn't, you know, but I, I yes. you see why I hesitate to say it. Well,
0: thank you so much for sharing that, that with us, Sharon. And um, Sylvia, thanks for calling in on the show. And yes, uh, Thank you. That was just it such is a beautiful response. Thank you so much. Sarah. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Mm
0: -hmm. Sylvia. I didn't want to keep her on the show too long, but um, but I want to say, Sharon, thank you for saying that because I believe that there are so many people who I had someone on uh, or will be having someone on, but I had to pre-record on DREAMS. Um, we have appearances and dreams. We have voices. We have yeah. all sorts of things that are yeah. going on now. I, yeah. I am not here to tell you where they come from. All I know yeah. is their are experiences in life yeah. that move us to a different plane in our healing if we're open to hearing.
1: Thank you for respecting that because, you know, I, you can see why I, I'm reticent.
0: I'm Absolutely, sure. and, I, and I think it's wonderful. i like us to come forward with what we've had happen to us, real things, because that's how we can help other people who are in this process. And if they haven't had that happen, you know, then they've had other things happen.
1: Yeah, that's right. But, and it's um, not that it's going to happen every day, and it's not that it's going to happen to everyone. But I, I study and teach intuition a lot also, and and I do know that the more that we allow ourselves to be open to this, the more that we can receive it.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were saying that this happened to you after a couple of years. I also and want our audience to hear that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm.
0: hard to hear anything but your own agony in the first Couple of years, I think, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, but I never did blame God. I never blamed. See, I I don't feel God causes bad things to happen. I think sometimes He chooses not to intervene,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and it's difficult for us sometimes to understand that lesson or to understand why.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and uh, yes, why do things happen? And
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. we we never know that. And and I think some of our early searching is trying to figure out why that it happened. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of searching for that early on, wouldn't you think?
1: I think there is, and I, and and maybe that isn't the place to focus. Yeah. Why at, at the beginning? Uh, just just to respect the grief, uh, kind of have the courage to go through it, and uh, and just to be quiet and listen.
0: Could you talk a little bit about the courage to talk about the person who's died?
1: Well, it it does take courage to talk about it. Just like uh, first of all, just like what happened to me today, is you don't know when you're going to stay together and when you're not going to stay together. Uh, sometimes it's easier not to talk about it, just like I said with being here in, in the Laramie and Wyoming community, because I was doing consulting right away uh, within probably four weeks after, five weeks after my loss, and uh, it made it easier not to talk about it. But it takes courage, because it's such a sad event in your life, and uh, yet... If you have the courage to talk about it, I think you find that other people are not only warmed by your words, they're given courage to face what they have to face.
0: Yes, it's interesting. I've had, uh, when I've talked a little bit about the show or something, um, uh, I'll get into why, you know, what happened to me, while I'm doing the show, and I'll have people who have all sorts of different things, like one woman's uh, son had MS, and she said, that gives me the courage to feel. You know, like I can help him, and it, it, you know, even the the smaller losses. Knowing the bigger losses help people to cope. Knowing that you can survive, even the smaller losses. If we haven't had larger ones, we feel that we may not survive. I know.
1: Well, and again, just like that, the woman you just mentioned, the courage to use your own pain to help others. You know, it it takes courage to do that because sometimes it's easier to sit in your own pain, even though that doesn't sound very healthy. You know, I. I I'm sure a lot of people understand the words I've just said uh, Mm -hmm. because we do sit in our own pain. And some people will tell me in counseling, I just can't move from it. I can't get away from it. And the truth is that once we begin to change internal dialogue, kind of listen to what our self-talk is, and to realize is it helping us, is it helping those around us, Uh, is it helping us move away from the grief, Uh, then I think answering that and, and changing that internal dialogue a bit
0: can. Which, by the way, changing—you can think, maybe that'll be one of your New Year's resolutions—is to think about changing your uh, interior dialogue well, a little bit. When and you one ask, of the may say one more thing? One of the ways to do it is the way Sharon was talking about: write a dump book.
1: Yeah, and and you'll because when you write Gloria, you'll hear what your internal dialogue is, and it's not saying that it's wrong. It isn't wrong. It's what's there, and it's what needs to get out. But what we need to ask ourselves then is. If I'm keeping thinking the same things over and over and over, you know, in, we're kind of in a rut in our thinking, then we have to kind of jump, jump that up. I always come, kind of I work with kids and talk about that, getting mm-hmm. it up off that track and onto another track of thinking. And when we can do that, that can move us, that next step, and actually into the healing process of, that, of moving out of self and into others. Mm-hmm.
0: And and another thing you can do, if you're not a writer, you can go to something like Compassionate Friends or find another group where you can talk about it and actually do an oral story.
1: Yes, yes. That's wonderful. I, I love that idea. Yeah, sharing the stories is, is very, very important.
0: Because sharing your story changes your story.
1: Yes, exactly. The only other thing I would say, and, and we kind of touched on this before we went online, is, is I would, would urge people not to become their story. Ah. You know, I... Uh, not to so identify with your loss that you become the bereaved parent and that's how you see yourself. I talk about sense of identity as being one of the things that cause us to get stuck in grief. Uh, knowing who we are before. You know, if, if I'm only Dave's mom before, then I'm going to have a lot harder, a lot more problems in the grief process. But I wasn't just Dave's mom before. I was Sharon. I was... A wife. I was a, a mother of three daughters. I was a grandmother. I was a, a you know. I was whatever I was, and so in going into that grief process, I had to realize that I can't live in this space of being the mother of a, of a son who's died. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things that I. How long
0: do you think it takes before you realize that? Did you realize it early on, or
1: in in the beginning, all you have is that deep seat of grief, mm-hmm. and, and so I don't think you can even think anywhere outside of that. But I, I guess I never, one of the things I didn't want people to do was feel sorry for me through this. I knew they were going to feel empathy, but I didn't want to be pitied because of it. I still wanted them, I, maybe I was just uncomfortable with that.
0: I don't think any of us want to be pitied. That's one of the issues, and I know you were talking about how you went back to Work after four weeks. So did I. You're so determined to look competent because you don't want to be pitied. But the reality is, it is pretty sad. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> you know, horrible. And, it's horrible. And they will pity us, and we but, try to keep ourselves looking competent, and it's tough at first. You really, as my husband always says, fake it till you make it.
1: Yeah, well, that's the truth. And and I and I guess I didn't. It would just make it worse for me if I was feeling all that. Yeah. constant remorse from other people. <laughs>
0: Before we end the show, I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you thought we missed or anything particular that you'd like to talk about. Um, well,
1: I was trying to think of it from the point of view of the listener and, and possibly the early bereaved parent. And uh, during holiday time, as, as these people know who have just been through it and still going into the new year, it's like, do we talk about the, the person we've lost? Do we not talk about it? Do we just create a sadness or do or is it awful to laugh or you know I, I think people got confused about that and so one of the things that I suggested to my grief uh, clients and friends is to to find ways to honor the one who died sometimes we're not ready to move out and do something for someone else we're still we're still into our grief and and we need we need it it's but Honoring the person can take on on many forms, and and one of the things that I did with with each of these is I made it of my losses is I made a scrapbook, and mm-hmm. this was really helpful to me. I it, it was a quiet enough opportunity to just be quiet, alone, sip tea, again light the candle, put on pretty music, kind of a ritual of sorts it became, but it was very healing for me, and I would I would take pictures of you know all. Different ages and write little vignettes about it, and and this was also helpful to other family members. Yeah,
0: so, that is uh, funny you should bring that up. My daughter did, did it for us this year. Uh, uh, her uh, she was fourteen when her brother died, mm-hmm. and she did it through the internet with Shutterbug and sent everybody an album uh, of Scott.
1: And, and see what I think is even more beautiful about that is that. How many years has gone by for you?
0: Twenty-two, right? That's right.
1: And, and, and still, there, it's never, ever. It's not something that you have to say, oh, I can't forget him. I have to do this. I have to do that. It was, it was just this gift of love that you're forever honoring that person. But what it shows me, again, is it, it, it's showing us that we have integrated that person back into our lives and we want to keep them. And to me, that's what healthy grief is taking the loss and being able to integrate the love of that person and the memories with them right back with us. Everybody.
0: And, Sharon, that's so wonderful that you say that. I mean, here you are, a bereaved child at age 11, having two sons die, two grandchildren, and, and you see the picture of bringing them into your life. It's, it's really very inspiring.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Well, the other thing, the thing I would say is the bereaved child, I, if I could, I could do a whole thing on that one, too, because I think of how long it took me to heal from that and I could have had if people would have just known how to help me and so I would say also if, if you have other children in your family and you've lost a child remember that your your children are grieving and absolutely
0: they're... and we've done some shows on siblings and I'm going to promise my audience right now that we'll do something uh, on a child losing a parent and we'll have Sharon on because you'd be wonderful with that. Well, let me ask you a question. During this new year, if you have one uh, piece of advice you could give to a newly briefed person, what would it be?
1: One piece of advice. Oh, that's why it's such a hard one. Uh, I think it would be possibly to be as honest with yourself about where you are in your thinking and feeling right now, and whether that's through talking to someone or to writing it down where you are.
0: And it's hard to figure out where you are sometimes on your own. You may need That's to right. talk to That's somebody right. about it and, to and find not out where you are.
1: you're expected to be, just where you are.
0: Mm-hmm. And how about somebody who's bereaved out there? Maybe after three or four years, what would you what would your piece of advice to them be?
1: I would I would say if they are still deeply bereaved after three or four years, they have what I call a grief entanglement and they are going to probably need professional help in finding out what that is. I just identified six entanglements that cause people to get stuck in the grief process. And if they wanted to email me, I could talk to them. I'd be happy to to do that. But I think they need to get help because my guess is that they are stuck in grief due to one of those six things.
0: And grief is, I was thinking about it the other day, it's like a river. It moves along slowly, but you can get stuck in some little side paths.
1: That's a good metaphor. That's beautiful. Yeah, and that's exactly how it is.
0: Yeah, the grief goes on still, but, you're, but there's some of your energy stuck off in other areas, and you need to bring it all into the same moving flow.
1: If, I could give, if we have time, I could give an example of what an entanglement does. Sure, that would be great. <clears throat> an entanglement is, let's just say this is the example. Uh, you have an unmet need because of the loss of the person. Now, I'm going to give you one that is is just unbelievable. But this woman came to me, and after four years, she said, I cannot get over this grief. I I still mourn Fred every day. I I can't stop it." it. Through talking, I found out the things they used to love to do. One of the things they loved to do the most was to go dancing. She was in grief because she wasn't dancing anymore. And Excuse me. So when we get to this, about the middle of the first session, she starts crying and she said, Don't tell me you think I'm only missing Fred because I'm not dancing. (laughs) And and she looked up at me and, and I said, Of course not. Of course not. But don't you see that every time that you think of Fred, what she's thinking of is... I don't get that one of the things she would think about was I never get to go dancing anymore. Right. Now, this is what I call an entanglement. When we, we get tangled up in the earthly miss of the person and something that, in this case, an unmet need.
0: Right. Another one
1: was a man who his wife paid all the bills. And so every month of bill-paying time, he went into the deepest grief, entanglement.
0: And so and so people need to figure out how to meet those needs. Is that what you suggest That's in other exactly ways? exactly
1: right. Find a way to meet the needs in a healthy way. Untangle it from the earthly loss of the person. I always say the, the grief road is its own road to hell. I mean, it's black <laughs> and deep. Right. You know, full of ruts. And so just doing it alone, but then to put an entanglement with it, you never get out of it.
0: Right. I don't right. know
1: if I've explained it well. Yeah, no, you
0: have. Yes, every yeah. time that comes up. But yeah. if you take a dance class or if you get yourself an accountant or, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly if you right. try to find out, um, yeah. because uh, you're amazed at the things when you've lost that child or or a or parent or whatever, the things that they did for you,
1: well, that you have
0: to find out how to meet those yeah. needs. And you don't have to meet all your needs. Other people can help you. You yeah. can hire, you know, you can go to the... The city, and find out who's got a dance class going, and sign That's up right. for it, and yep. let the dance teacher meet that need <laughs>
1: but identifying the unmet needs. So with parents, it's usually the entanglement is the personal sense of identity of who they were before and who they see themselves as now, and the unmet needs. Those are the ones. Those are the two of the six I usually find with parents. But there's four others, and people, and and, and I'm doing a manuscript on it right now, and so. I hope that it can be used as a self-help or it can be used by a therapist, either one.
0: Great. Right. And your, um, I heard you were telling me that your New Year's resolution is to get you an edit. We're going to get your New Year's resolution on the show, so it will be written in stone. Yes,
1: yeah, so I have to do it. Yes, my New Year's resolution is to obtain an agent, and I have the person I, I, I'm just positive she will say yes. I'm just going to be that optimistic. If not, I have a backup. And then I'm going to get my new manuscript out.
0: Great. So uh, for all of you out there, think about your New Year's resolutions. and. I remember one of my early resolutions. The first year was that I was going to uh, exercise, and not huge—walk around the block, drink more water, mm-hmm. try to get more sleep. Those are good resolutions for the first year, wouldn't you say?
1: They are perfect. Res- they are perfect re- resolutions for every year because the mind-body connection is absolutely—it goes in an infinity loop. If you know what that looks like, if you were to draw it. And so, as we behave, as we think, as we exercise, so we become. And, and uh, yeah, keep your mind and heart as healthy as possible would be absolutely,
0: which is a, a wonderful thing for the new year. And then, as time goes on, you may want to make a bigger plan for uh, right. maybe change in your life. Right. Sometimes we're ready for a change right. to change a job or to write a book, or you know think about what, what things you might want to do for yourself this coming year. Yeah. Let's see, I guess my New Year's resolution for this year is I've just signed a new contract with Voice America to be on the show for a whole year. Ah,
1: uh, so. Congratulations, lady. <laughs> <That's your laughs>
0: so that was a big resolution yeah. for me because I was kind of taking it a, a bit at a time. So um, uh, doing a year of the show will be an interesting resolution for okay. me this year. Well,
1: what What that reminds me of when you say that is to remi- remember that there's a lot of energy in pain and sorrow, a lot mm-hmm. of energy and what you've done is you've taken that energy and that pain and the pain and sorrow and you've turned it into something that is being beautifully helpful. Beautiful help for other people. So that's wonderful, Gloria.
0: Well, thank you, and Sharon. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great to have you on. And uh, please get Sharon's book. When someone dies, it's a wonderfully written book. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, they could do it through. Uh,
1: oh. Uh, what, Sharon? Oh. You
0: got an email. You can get actually <laughs> if
1: they Google Sharon Greenleaf, uh, it comes up.